I want to talk to us today um, about something that's kind of important to me. And it's this concept of the the race that we run. That's what Paul calls it in so many parts of the scripture. Uh, he calls it a race. He likens our walk with like athletic events. But ultimately what it is is the life that you live. The life that you live that you've been given. And I want to talk about it because there's so much wrapped up into it. <clears throat> My first question, as Marla read when she was up here, for I am convinced that there is nothing that could separate us. So my first question today is, are you convinced? This is going to be super important. Because when you're convinced of something, it takes, well, it takes a lot. When you're in the world, you don't know Jesus, it takes an act of God to change that thinking, does it not? It takes an encounter with the living Christ himself to change the way that we think that we view the world. I lived in the world. I still have lived in the world longer than I've lived in the kingdom. Okay? Now, I'm 36 years old. I got saved truly when I was 21. You do the math on that. All right? So I know and experience more of the world than I do of the kingdom. doesn't change the fact that I'm born again. doesn't change the fact that I carry with me the power of Christ. It just simply means that I'm going to have tendencies and I'm going to have things that want to reach out and grab me from my past, which right now is more heavily steeped in the things of the world. They're going to be those knee-jerk reactions that happen to us. And so we look at it and the scriptures call it a race that's marked out for us. You can go ahead and turn your Bible, Bibles to Hebrews. We're going to be looking at chapter 12. I'll refer back to chapter 11. But this race, as Paul calls it, and tells us to train for. In other parts of the scriptures, he talks about you want to run the race in such a way as to win it. You want to, you want to train for it like an athlete does to win the prize, because only one person can win. Obviously, not one Christian is going to win, right? We're all going to. And so my point this morning is more not to do with winning the race, but finishing it. Because you can't win it <clears throat> if you can't finish. And I think that's where a lot of us are hung up. We're somewhere along the journey, and we're not sure we're going to make it to the end. So there in Hebrews chapter <clears throat> chapter 12, it's the first few verses. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. I'm reading from the NASB. I prefer the NIV's version of that, which says, um, throw off everything that entangles throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with endurance. The NIV says uh, perseverance, the race that is set before us. NIV says marked out before us. I have different Bibles at my house, obviously, so I wrote my study and uh, my sermon and I, and I researched it through NIV, but I have my NASB with me here. Um, but I like how the NIV reads it out when it says, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. What does that mean it's marked out for you? It means that somebody came along and said, this is your race. This is where you're to run it. This is how long it's going to be. So your life is not by accident. You have a set number of days. Somebody set your days. Somebody stepped out and said, this is the life that you're going to live, and this is going to be everything that happens along the path. Now, you don't know what the future holds because you're not God, and he does. He knows what's around every corner. He knows every hurdle. He knows everything that you're going to encounter. I remember researching the 92 Olympics. Now, in 92, I was nine, so I probably didn't care much about the Olympics. Okay, maybe the shot put or some kind of strength, you know, because I'm, I'm a boy and I'm all about that, right? Does anybody remember the 92 Olympics? Vaguely, a little bit. So running is in like every Olympics that we have. But there are a couple of things that happened. One happened to a woman by the name of Gail Devers. She ran for, for USA and she ran the 100 meter, meter hurdles. She was out in front and she was winning and she was leading and she hit the last hurdle. She hit it, plowed right into it. Now, 
It looks like, when you look at the video, it looks like she simply stumbled forward. But the truth is, she could have fell dead right there and not even completed the race. But instead, she allowed her momentum to carry her forward, and she almost looks like she's trying to get back up. Now, she's running pretty fast, okay? She's, she's hurdling these hurdles at a, at a pretty good clip. And when she hit, she fell pretty hard, but she tried to get back up and crawl. And because of that, she didn't finish last. She finished fifth. Look at the video yourself. She finished in fifth place. Got up, applauded for the rest of the, you know, the, the athletes that were in the event. I'm sure for herself a bit, you know, but good for her that she didn't let hitting that hurdle completely ruin her. This video I'll show a little bit later towards the end. Um, you guys might remember this one a little bit better. Derek Redman, he ran for the Brits. He was a British runner. And uh, I'll have you show that a little bit later, okay, Daniel? Um, but what's interesting here is that he's running the 400 meter. I'm pretty sure it's what it's, 400 meter. And he tears a hamstring somewhere over halfway over the race. He tears his hamstring. And I'll let it play out for you. But let me just tell you, he finishes the race. Okay? I've never torn my hamstring. I've pulled it a little bit a couple of times. Nothing too crazy, too bad. But your hamstring runs all the way down here. You damage that, you're not walking or running like you used to. You are hung up. Basketball players can't play. Football players can't do it. You can't bear weight. You can't pivot. There's nothing much you can do when that thing gets overworked, or in this case, it got torn completely. Uh, but it runs all the way down from the, from the, from the, I think the base of your back, really, through your glute, all the way down. <clears throat> and so it's a pretty important thing to have. But he finished, and I'll, I'll, I'll let the video show the rest. So we don't know who wrote we know he's Jewish. We're pretty sure he's Jewish. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but he has a lot to say. And I do want to look at some of the advice that he's going to give us, all right, when it talks about running the race, when it talks about finishing with perseverance the race. The first thing I want to look at is that he says that the very, very first word in chapter 12 is therefore. What does Pastor Mike like to say? What's the therefore, therefore, Right? He's drawing off of chapter 11, okay? I want to, on the outset, I want to challenge and encourage us. They are in the scriptures right here, and they are held in high esteem by the scriptures for their faith, okay? We, I guess rightly so, can put them on a bit of a pedestal. These are the great men of faith, right? These are the guys that did great things. Okay, my my only issue with that is that unspoken, it would be, but I can't do that. See, that was for them. They were special. They were a set apart group. And I'm going to challenge that. They were simply running their race. They were simply living the life that was marked out for them. And these were the challenging times that came about. And if anything, it can stand in contrast to what we want to do. You know, we want to retreat. We want to try to work harder in our own efforts to uh, to overcome these challenges. And these men did not. And that's why they're highlighted for their faith. By faith, he did this. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Enoch. By faith, you know. And he goes on down and he says, and I don't even have time to get to the rest, like Moses. You don't have time to get to Moses? Like, how, how big are these things that they're recording? And he's like, I don't have time to get to Moses or David or Barak, you know? And so all they do, these are the great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these men having done what they needed to do through faith, by faith, okay, we can throw off everything that hinders us, okay? So the first person that I wanted to talk about <clears throat> was Abraham. Abraham, no doubt, battled discouragement. Here's Abraham. He's married to Sarah. She's barren. They want kids, right? But she can't have them because she's barren. So imagine, take a second, don't look at your Bibles, just close your eyes, all right? And you're either Abraham or you're Sarah. Regardless, you're not having this kid. 
right? Because you're barren. So God says, well, you're going to have the kid. Takes a year. He has the kid, whatever it is, right? Now he's got Isaac. Now how do you feel? Cool, God came through. I'm liking this. Life is going the way that I want it to go. Then comes the next hurdle, right? So now God says, I want you to take Isaac up to the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. All right? Now we can read through this book, and we have the entire scripture available to us. All they had was their experience with God. They did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. All they had was what little bit was written for them, okay, and their experience with God. So we can look back knowing the end of the story, getting all nervous, what's going to happen. I'm going to skip to the chapter after the sacrifice to find out what's going on. I'm not going to read everything in between because it's, does he get sacrificed or doesn't he? But you're Abraham, and all you have is your relationship with, with God. So I'm sure he battled discouragement. I can't believe God is asking me to do this. I couldn't have him, then he gives him to me, and now he wants him back. That was just one thing in Abraham's life. Abraham was first uprooted from uh, where he lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, and he was called to somewhere he didn't know. He didn't know where he was going to wind up. God just told him to get up and go. So anybody kind of picture and connect with Abraham on this? Sometimes you're walking, you're trying to walk with Christ, but you're just not sure where you're going. Well, I'm trying to run the race. I'm trying to live for Christ like I, I'm supposed to, like I want to, but it'd be nice to know where I was going. Abraham didn't know. So I want you to picture that you're encountering this like discouragement where God gave you something or maybe a promise that he gave you, and then it didn't turn out the way that you thought it would. See, God promised you, but it didn't work out the way you thought it would. So you're a little discouraged. Listen to Abraham. If he were to speak to you, he'd probably say something like this. Stay faithful to God and obey him. His ways are higher than your ways. Now, this is a man of great faith. This is a man that did these things, was able to hold true to his God in spite of all those things that God asked him for. And he's whispering to you. So now you're on this race, and he's up in the stands, and he's saying, you can do it. Why can you do it? Because I did it, and I'm not special. Don't think that he's special. He's nobody special. All right? He's just a man who ran his race. Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, ends up in prison for crimes he didn't commit. Joseph's another one that's found in there. I can appreciate that personally because... In two of my, my jobs, um, I've had one manager that accused me of something I didn't do and terminated me as a result, and I had another boss that was out to get me. I mean, she was out to get me. She would put me in situations to fail, would judge me harshly for not handling them, and I remember in those times just wondering, you know, God, where are you in this? Here I am trying to toil for you, trying to work as I would unto you. I want to be a good Christian in the marketplace. And yet I got this person that's just coming out to get me. And she's trying hard. Other people saw it. Uh, other people at the, at the restaurant saw it. And she was determined that she was going to get me fired. And God worked through some pretty amazing ways. Now she worked through, um, it was a new president at the time. The guy came through. He was with the company for a couple of months. Had never been to our restaurant. Never met myself at all. Had met Carrie, but never met me. And I'm told of a conversation that they had when she basically submitted to him, he's not working out. We got to get rid of this guy. So what he did, what Jeff did was he, he took some time and he comes down and he sits and he talks with me. He visits the restaurant. He watches me as I work. And then he goes about his business. So I find out something like six months later, still in this fight, still this woman trying to get me. And all of a sudden she quits out of nowhere. Just out of nowhere. And nobody understood what happened or why. Six months later, I'm sitting down with one of the other regionals. 
And they're talking to me, and they said, well, Carrie was given an option. She could either quit or they let her go. And they paid her, um, they paid her back vacation that she didn't use as a severance so that she would leave. And I'm told of a conversation that, that she had with Jeff. And Jeff said to her, I visited your restaurant unannounced. I watched Mike as he worked. And the Mike that you speak of is not the Mike that I saw. He said, so you're carrying a grudge and you're out to get this guy. And that's not the kind of people that I want for my organization. And he never spoke a word to me about it. It all came to me, third-hand knowledge and, and fourth-hand knowledge. And it kind of stood out to me because I thought, man, that was totally the Lord working through that guy. He could have made an easy snap decision. I don't want to deal with this headache. Just go ahead and cut him loose and we'll get somebody else to, you know, to replace him. But he took it upon himself to visit. He took it upon himself to come and actually watch the, the work that I was doing and totally flipped it on her. So not only did I not go anywhere, but she did. So in the same token, in the same breath that he encourages me and upholds me in front of this new president of the company, he also removes the mountain that's in my way. Took it clean out. When I tell you she was, she was gone, she was gone. It was like one morning she was there, and the next morning she wasn't. She was just gone. And they got a new GM to replace her, and then, you know, the, the story of my life continues. But I remember this. If I live by such a way as to honor Christ and everything that I do, to honor God and everything I do, the world will think you're crazy. Why don't you fight back? Why don't you, you know, dig in? Why don't you find something on her and, and attack her, you know? That's just not the way that I think Christ would do it. See, when Christ was reviled, he reviled not in return. He didn't offer anything. He let the course of his life play out. Okay? Now, there's Noah. Well, Joseph, let me first say this. If Joseph were to speak to you, he might say something like this. It's easy, and it doesn't take much. It's easy, it doesn't take much to be faithful when things are going your way. But remain faithful if you hit bottom and things are starting to fall apart. So if things in your life aren't really where they're supposed to be and you kind of feel like they're slipping, that's the time to be faithful. Your gut reaction is to be to move quicker, to work harder, to try and do it on your own accord. But you're called to remain faithful. And this, again, is Joseph who was sold into slavery. This He was... You know, he was accused of doing something that he didn't when it came to Potiphar's wife, and he wound up in prison because of it, and then God changed things. All of a sudden, through a series of events you can read about uh, back in Genesis, you see that he's all of a sudden promoted. He is head over everything. He answers only to Pharaoh. He's the head of the grain, the money, people, all of it. They all answer to him. And God's going to use that in the course of his life to redeem things. But i got to be honest, if I'm Joseph and I'm sitting in prison, there's no way I even consider that. There's no way I... Much less being head over everything and my life being completely redeemed, I don't even see how I'm getting out of prison. Because the very reason I'm in there is because of something that I allegedly did to Potiphar's wife. You know what I mean? She accused him before Pharaoh, and he was toast. How is, how is any of this going to get redeemed? But that's where our thinking has to get challenged. Because either one, God wants you there. That's the hardest one, I think, for me, and I would say for all of us. Either one, God wants you right where you are, because he wants to do something awesome. And he wants to display his glory in such an awesome fashion and you were chosen to be the one to live through it. And if he does want us there, well, he's sovereign in our lives, right? We'll sing about it. We'll pray about it. We'll talk to other people about it. God is sovereign. He's my everything. But those are the things that we truly have a hard time surrendering at the foot of the cross. Those are the things we want to hold dear and take offense to and now we start shaking our finger at God. Why would you put me through this? And why do I have to go through this? And me, 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 me. You know, 
you're just the main character in the story he's writing in this chapter. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to diminish you or me. I'm not trying to bring us down to something small, but I'm trying to magnify God, right? I'm trying to put him in the big place, and he's orchestrating all of the events. And not only do you have to be okay with it, you need to embrace it and say, it was chosen for me to go through this and not this brother, you know? And he chose you for something else and not me. The second thing, God doesn't want you there. Well, that's good news for you, right? Because if God doesn't want you there, then clearly he's going to restore you and rescue you just like he did with Joseph. We're talking about a guy that opens up locked gates and rolls away stones and conquers death and revives people from the dead. You're talking about a God that multiplies fish and bread to feed hundreds of thousands of people with leftovers. I mean, you're really going to tell me that he can't step down in your life and pull you out if he doesn't want you there? So the only reason then that you'd be stuck there is because you've lost sight of him. You lost sight of him. He didn't lose sight of you. He's still there. You just got to find him. And you got to see him so he can lead you out through whatever circumstances they are. But that'd be Joseph. Now comes Noah. Noah's an interesting guy. I don't know that they knew what rain was back then. They knew what water was. But they're told a big flood's coming. It's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. You know, big flood's coming. It's going to destroy the entire world. Noah's preaching it. He's building this boat for a hundred years. And I got to imagine that for him, he had to be patient. Now I confess, patience is not, not one of my finer virtues. I'm working on it. The Lord gave me my three children. If you guys have met them, you'll understand what I'm talking about. I love those boys, but they challenge my patience. <laughs> they really do. Um, but here's Noah preaching for a hundred years nobody's getting it nobody's even getting close nobody's responding to his message they're all ridiculing him you're a fool you're a fool you know and here's Noah steady by steady building this boat getting it ready and only people that get saved are his seven children and their wives or three children his three children their wives and him and his wife eight people in all so he had three boys they got married and that was it only eight people saved in all. Have you ever worked at something for a hundred years? I, I feel like Mary Smith might take the crown on this one. Prayed for something for, let's go with, 30 years. 40? 40 years. People, I'm 36. Let that tell you something. I'm 36 years old. She's prayed longer than I've been alive for something. And she hadn't even got halfway to Noah yet. Look at that look. The look on her face says it all. The look on her face says it all. God love you, Mary Smith. It was perfect. You know what I mean? But that's okay. I'm sure Noah had that look on his face. I'm sure you're 62. You know, because God didn't tell him it's going to be 100 years. He just said build a boat. It was a huge boat. It took him a while. It was just one guy working on it. And the boys got old enough finally. They were strong enough to help out, I'm sure. You know what I mean? But for a while, the guy was building it by himself. It's a lot of wood to haul, okay? It's a lot of whatever they used for nails back then. It's a lot of, of everything to, to build the size of this boat. I mean, I'm not sure we could really, I mean, picture it. It held two of every kind of animal that was on the face of the earth. Some of these things were big. But I'm sure he had that same look on his face. I'm sure he had that same reaction, and yet he continued to do it. He continued to work on. These are the guys, these are the people even women, that we can look back on to encourage us and to inspire us. The next time that you feel like you're running the race and you trip and hit the hurdle and you fall, I want you to think about one of them from Hebrews 11. If you hear nothing else, you fall down and you think, where is God in this moment? Pick up your Bible, turn to Hebrews 11, pick one person and read about them. Read about how, the, how they were honored for their faith and figure out what can you do by reading about that one person to say, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep going because this is my race. 
marked out for me. I've talked to most of you, if not all of you, in the room. And I've been at a church now for 15 years. Now, very few of you know the me that walked in the doors fresh out of the world. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with one. I'm going to go with one. A lot of people aren't here today. You know, by the way, that a lot of people aren't here when you show up to church 10 minutes before it starts and you still get a spot in the front. We never get the spot in the front because usually the kids are always holding us back and whatever. And uh, we're winding up being like right on time, which is actually late. And we're rushing in here and wind up having to park like 600 yards down here. You know what I mean? Because everybody takes all those front spaces. And kudos to the church, by the way. Because it's like that. If you get here at 946, you're parking 600 yards away. The church, you guys are on time early, and I love it about you guys. And you guys challenge and inspire me, but I'm working with those three boys, and patience is not one of my virtues. you know. But uh, we pulled up at 950 today and got a spot right here. So you know somebody didn't make it. And we are praying for the Curtises for a safe trip home. I heard it was a, a, a good um, graveside deal that they did. Mike shared with me, so... Uh, we are praying for a safe return for them. But, um, but man, I got to tell you, I just I could not imagine um, going through some of these things. But that's my encouragement to you, is to pick up your Bible and read in chapter 11 about that one person. Okay? It's the race marked out for you, just like it was for Noah. Let them encourage you. Let them be the cheerleader on the sidelines saying, not only can you do this, but I want to help you do this through my life. I want to help you do this through the way that I live my life. The second thing, let me back up. The great cloud of witnesses, by the way, in the scriptures, obviously referring to those people from chapter 11, but you guys, you guys are part of that cloud of witnesses. See, you have people running a race concurrently with you. It's not the same race. You're not running in the same direction per se. You're all heading towards heaven in that way, but your life's going to turn here, your life's going to turn here. Other people in this room can also be those giants of faith. I can never forget, long as I live, because Steve discipled me and I've shared it before, but I, I can't go through something small without getting a bad attitude, okay? And I don't mean a bad I mean, like, I will shut down. I won't talk to people. I'll just kind of come into church. You guys have seen this look on my face, I'm sure. I'll go to MJ. He's not having a good day. I'm one of those people that wears my heart under my sleeve. You know something's wrong. You just don't know what it is, and you don't want to know. And so, like, I repel people. You know, then I have those other times in which I attract people, and I try and have more times of that, but... Man, I just get this frumpy look on my face. Steve Smith, no matter what that man went through, always, always was trying to talk to other people and was always trying to be Christ to other people. Sometimes he'd be half out of his mind, right? He'd be half out, he's still doing it. If that's not the spirit, I don't know what is. I mean, delirious as anything on a cocktail of medications that you couldn't speak and say and read half straight, much less take them in your body. And this man is sitting there and still trying. God love him. What an amazing guy. He belongs in Hebrews 11, if you ask me. Like, that's an amazing picture. Of course, the canon is closed. But we can look at Steve Smith and we can say, man, that challenges me. If he could do that, if I could do half of that, I'd walk in here no matter what was going on in my life and I wouldn't have that frumpy look on my face. Dragging my feet, having a bad attitude. For those of you that didn't have the, the, the true privilege and honor of knowing Steve Smith, you know, sit down and talk to us sometime about him. That man, will, that man will change your life. I love him to pieces, and I look forward to rejoicing with him in heaven. And I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I'm going to be amazed. This fool is going to be dancing and having a great time and drinking water and eating food, you know, that he couldn't have when he was here. I so look forward to that. First place I'm going to go. Go see Steve. I truly am. Uh, Mike and Meredith. They planted this church. 94? 
92, they played it. It started out in there. I think Mary Smith and, and Steve Smith were among the first ones, really, to regularly attend. Mickey Lana, you were among that group. Yep. Way back. I remember seeing, like, a church flyer came out of somebody's house. I think it was your flyer, but it was in Tim and Blanche's house. Whatever. An old flyer. I'm talking about old. You know, from the, the church when it met, like, in, in, in a house somewhere. But this church has moved to several locations. It has gone through splits. We've lost leaders, and we've gained other ones. And the core of the church has morphed in just the 15 years that I've been here. When I first came, it was three families. Truly. Well, four, if you include the Jacksons. But it was the Smiths, it was the Nolets, it was the Curtises. And a few sort of outliers, you know what I mean, that were out there, the Patricks, the John Scotts, the, the singles group, right? The young adults group, that we call it now. But it was all the people that just were unattached, going to school, doing their thing, and these three families. And then you had the Jacksons. That was the whole church constituted right there. So if somebody didn't show, you knew. If a sickness took over the church, it was like four people at a luau. You know what I'm talking about? Now, the church has grown and gone through all of that. But I was thinking about this the other day. You know, just imagine imagine the talks that Mike and Meredith have had. Imagine the times which they've poured their heart out. I know they've had them because they're people. And I know people because I'm a people. I know my kind. And I know they've had those tough moments where they prayed together and they've wept. And they've wept over the loss of a sheep. Just one. You know? And yet they've, they've held their ground. And through it all, the church's finances up, the church's finances down. Not the least of which, the latter, the latest part was this building right here. We all prayed. We all got together. We sought the Lord. We all felt the same unified, unified direction to take this place. The build out, twice as much. You're talking about things that weren't considered to a tune of $15,000. Like, not anticipating that and watching as the finances do all of this. And they held their ground. They, they held strong to the faith that said, we were called to this time. This is part of the church's walk, right, for him. And we're not going to let it get us down. And every day or every Sunday, she got up here and led worship. He gets up here and he preaches. And he'll talk to you if you ask him. And he'll share those moments from his heart, as I'm sure she will. But they don't let it hold them back. That encourages me. It's not going the way I thought it should go. I, I, I didn't hear you right, Lord. And they didn't, they didn't stop moving. They just kept plugging along and kept plugging along. They didn't do the, the Mike Jeffords frump. They worked past it and through it. And they've encouraged and touched every life that's in this room. In some way, in some fashion, they have changed your life. Only by being Christ to you. And they, they didn't let those, well, for us, big hurdles, but for God, small hurdles, small things, bumps in the road, tiny ones. They got up and they dusted themselves off. Okay, where's Jesus? Okay, he's right here. Let's go. They, they found where he was, and that was the whole focus of them. Cole Webb, he's not here this morning, but I can remember Cole Webb going through some tough times. He's still going through some tough times. You know, a lot of it can't be shared, you know, but I remember as a young Christian, now see, I'm part of the um, the young adults group. I'm unattached going to school and, and doing all these things. And I remember being with Cole when I'm talking like, like he was losing things, important things to lose. And I remember praying for him and praying like, this isn't some like, you know, pre-scripted prayer. You know, God come through for him in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, dear Jesus, please do this. Like, this was real. I'm watching this man lose stuff. And I go to the Lord, and I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I'm going to open my mouth, and the scriptures tell me that you're going to put words in there. So let's get this done, because this man's losing stuff. This is awful. You know, and I was like, Lord, what do I got to do? What can I do? You know, I'm 23 years old, two years into the kingdom of God. I can't even pray for this man. And I'm just like, Lord, help me, please, because I want to pray for him in a way that's going to be effective and get it changed, you know? And I watched him as he did it, as he walked through it with such tremendous faith. And he would tell you he faltered, and I'm sure that he did, because he's people, and that's what we do. We falter. But I watched him live through it, and I watched God restore it to him. And I remember rejoicing with him, and I remember being so excited for him. 
Coleb's another one of those guys that's a great cloud of witnesses that's like, you can do this because I did it. But in this case, it's more like, you can do it because I'm doing it. You just have to learn how. You just have to learn how to look to Jesus. You have to learn how to, to engage him and to be so deep in him that it doesn't bother you when you hit the hurdles. The furrows. I've known you a short time, truly. But man, you guys are going through some big stuff. To even talk about it breaks my heart. But I'm watching as you guys write letters to people, like you're encouraging people. Letters should be written to you. And they are. I, I understand that you know that's happening. But here you are in the midst of everything. And you're just like, I still want to love on people. And I still want to be Christ to people. And you hold your head up high. And you just know that God's going to come through. You don't know how or when, but you know he's going to do it. And you hold your heads up high. I'm so proud of you guys. You encourage and spur me on. And I have my own big things. You know? And you guys might look at my life and go, how does MJ deal with what he deals with? It's too big. The only thing I can tell you is that's why I was chosen. And that's why you were chosen. And that's why Cole was chosen. And why Mike and Meredith were chosen. That's why it's their race. That's why it's their life. I can never forget... When the devil was looking for a fight, and he goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, Have you considered my servant Job? He have you considered my he I'm not gonna say he sick the devil on him, but he, he he almost dared him, right? I wish you would change his faith. Cause I know Job. And there he goes. He says, Here's my servant Job. Have you considered him? Go for it. And and, it, and he tried, it didn't work, it comes back. Well, let me do this. All right, go ahead. The Lord was so confident in who he made Job to be, who he knew Job to be. And Job faltered, don't get me wrong. Read through it. He faltered. He fell apart after those friends of his started running their mouth. You know what I mean? Those guys got to talking, and all of a sudden, he got off his, you know, off, off, his, off his walk there for a minute, but comes right back when the Lord rebukes him, and he's restored everything. Everything that was taken from him, he was restored. And I mean, just looking at things like that. So God has chosen you to walk this walk. And he is operating through you. I could not imagine going through some of the things that you guys have gone through. Kate and Sarah. This one's close to me. They have a an experience that will, I think, forever knit them together. And I won't go into details. I've talked about it before. But all I can say is as I, as I look back on it, and I still feel that pain that's associated with it, that, that's a, that you sometimes still feel, you know, from over time. I just see God's grace in it. I just, in a, in a new way that I almost can't describe or explain to you, you know. And, and I ask those questions. We all do. Well, why? Why, why me? Why something so awful? You know, what, what would the, I get it, your glory and being you and magnifying you and all that but but why all the pain like it couldn't have been something different i got at least four different options i would have put in the suggestion box besides that you know what i mean that in my eyes would have achieved the same thing but that's just a problem it's just it's our eyes it's not god's eyes because god knows the future he knows one person is going to hear your story that's going to change their life and that suggestion just wouldn't do it had to be this way I think God's the only person I won't look at and say, God, there's more than one way it's going to cap. No, it's got to be his way. It's got to be the things that he chooses for us because it's in those moments that he knows them, you know, that he wants to reach down and he wants to help us as we're walking that walk. That's the part that we miss. All you see is the circumstance. You don't see the help that's coming. You don't see the help that's there that God wants to use 20 years from now. You're so worried about five seconds from now. He's a 20 years from now watching another person get saved and embrace Christ because they heard your story. Because they heard about what you went through and how you went through it. And the fact that you didn't stop. Look there in chapter 11. Okay. The very last verse. This stood out to me. I never saw this before. And I'll read it. It says, <clears throat> actually, I want to read it from the NIV. I'll back it up. Verse 39. These 
all those men of faith in chapter 11, were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us. How many think that your life is something better? I mean, when you read through some of the stuff they went through, I've never had to sacrifice my son, so I guess I'm better in that regard, you know, but had something better planned for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. That's that indwelling spirit that we have. They didn't have the Holy Spirit back then. We have the Holy Spirit. We have, we have Christ come, lived his life, did his ministry, paid the penalty. One of the things I think that holds us up as we, as we run this race and we get hung up on and we're about to get into it is that our sin gets us so captured and captivated and it causes us to stop like dead in our tracks. See, Christ can't love me because of what I've done. Christ can't love me because of what I am doing. I'm living this life of sin. I know it's sin. I can't get past it. How can Christ love me? We get kind of hung up and caught up on that. Your walk, Hallel, individually, Saxon, 2 Samuel, Stephen, Marissa, your walk, your family's race, right, is connected to those guys that only by being together with us are they made perfect, is their faith made perfect. It doesn't say right there with Christ. Later on it talks about him being the author and perfecter of our faith. But see, we have that indwelling Holy Spirit. So we make them perfect when we get stuck in our walk and we look to them. These awesome people that God impacted and they overcame such amazing hurdles and they stood strong in their walk. And then you look around you today and you see people Everybody's got something. Because if you don't, if you don't have that thing that holds you back or that's tripped you up, if you're not in some way, in harm's way, then that means you're way too close to the enemy. You are way too close. He's not going to pick at you if you're already shut down and obsolete. He's going to let you go about your business. You start talking to people, and people start getting saved, and you have a ministry, now you're a problem. And now the attacks will come. And boy, will they come. And they won't, he won't fight fair. He won't. But I know one who can overcome it all. There ain't nothing the devil's going to take from you that God didn't give you already and won't give you again if it was in his heart to do. You know what I mean? So when the attacks come, all I know is I'm heading in the right direction at the right speed because he's trying to slow me down. He's trying to knock me off my course. He's the hurdle that's in my way, and I'm going to get through him, over him, around him, under him, whatever I got to do through my faith in Christ because it's Christ ultimately that we'll see that does it and gets it done. It's not through my own strength. It can't be my own strength. Hurdle one, I'm out. I already see that. There's no way that we're strong enough to run this race. That's why we need the great cloud of witnesses. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need all these things that God gives us. And he knew that we would need them. And that's why he tells us. He told them in the very beginning, wait here, it's coming. Wait for the gift my father promised you, it's coming. You're going to need it. That indwelling Holy Spirit that's, that's going to push you and that's going to give you everything that you need. So when you open up your mouth and don't know how to pray for somebody, the Spirit will pray right through you. So we have to remember that our walk has a purpose, okay? It has a purpose. So now be ready for the struggles that will come. I was at my dad's house oh, some months ago. Sarah wasn't there. I forget what I was even doing. I was passing through to see how they were doing or whatever. And, and dad likes to watch old movies. Dad's old. That's what old men do, I guess, is they watch movies that were contemporary to their time, whatever. But I'm talking about this, this like movie was from the 40s. It was a Tarzan movie. Very old, very cheesy movie, you know. Uh, but very old. Tarzan has a knife in his teeth, and he's like jumping in the river. And out of nowhere, I don't even know where he's at, that this octopus is there. But the octopus grabs a hold of him. And it starts out with one tentacle, and it grabs hold of him. This is Tarzan, okay? One tentacle ain't going to get it done. 
All right, he's been living in the jungle his whole life. So he grabs hold of him, he's fighting through it, and then also the second tentacle and the third one, and all of a sudden he's wrapped up and he's tangled up. This is the sin in your life that so easily entangles you that Hebrew says we're supposed to throw it off. Tarzan's toast, right? I mean, he's only at best 220 pounds, lean muscle. You know, he's about six foot tall or whatever he is. But this octopus has hold of him with like all these tentacles. He's done. But he has that knife in his teeth. And out comes the knife, off go the tentacles, boom, he's free. That's how the, that's how the movies work, by the way. It always seems to work out for the, the hero and the heroine at the very end. But I just thought about that. I was like, that's so true, right? That Hebrews says, now, because of this great, this great kind of witnesses, because you have all these people spurring you on, they've done it, they tell you you can do it, they're teaching you how, you're learning because you're reading, and you're not going to let the thing hang you up. Now throw it off. But listen how he reads. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Two separate categories, which tells me there's a, that there's a category of things not related to your sin. It's just life. You're going to be hindered. Maybe your personality hinders you. Well, I'm an introvert, so therefore I can't evangelize. No. That's a hindrance that you're going to throw off. Well, I've never been that great with people. Well, I'm not really qualified. I'm too young. I haven't been through enough. How am I going to pray for the guy that's up here who's battling cancer when I'm only 15 and I don't even know what cancer is? I'm sure if I stepped into some of the, the youth, I would be looking up here going, I don't even know what they're talking about. They're talking to pray for people, but I don't even know what you're talking about. Why is it a big deal? You need to throw that off. If you don't know what it is, ask. Mary Smith, what's the big deal? Why are we praying for this guy? And let them share with you, and they come up here and pray for him. Be filled with faith. Don't ever be too young. Don't ever be too old. Don't ever be unqualified. That's smoke and mirrors. That's all that is. Smoke and mirrors. You're totally qualified because you have life. And that was given you. Every hair on your head is numbered. Every, every day of your life is numbered and laid out before you. It's all orchestrated. Now, I'm not going to go swinging over here to Calvinist side or anything like that. But the reality is your life is here for a reason. You're not just happening. You're not just existing and floating through and, oh, look who I get to meet today and they're gone tomorrow and all of that. Every day of your life is purposed. The question is, what is your faith going to accomplish? What will your faith accomplish? Marathon runners, and I don't know, okay, because, well, let's just call it like it is. I'm not in the best shape of my life. I'm just in the shape of my life. That's all I am. Round is a shape, okay? So I'm not necessarily in the best shape of my life. I'm just simply in the shape of my life. I'm not going to go running any marathons anytime soon because my marathon will be a very quick one. There goes MJ's around the first leg in the ambulance, heading to the hospital. All right, so, but I'm told there are two critical moments in a marathon race. The first is the gunshot, the very beginning of the race. Because you're going to be challenged. You're feeling pretty good. You're breathing nice. I do know this about working out and about aerobic exercise. It's once you get going, you start to feel pretty good. You're breathing nice. Your, your vessels are expanding. The oxygen is flowing pretty nicely. So you're feeling pretty good. The, challenge, the, the risk is that you're going to run too fast too soon in this marathon. All right? Marathon, 26 miles. 26 miles. I think from my doorstep to Kirkman Road, anybody who knows the local area, I think like Kirkman Road, I drive is 30 miles. So 26 miles, you're going to come out here, you're going to hang a left, you're going to go down Lake Mary Boulevard, pick up I-4, you're going to head down, you know, southwest on I-4 for a good ways. That's a marathon, people. I'm not talking about like running past the marathon gas station and hanging a right and going home. Like That's not the same thing. So, but you start to feel good and you start to run too fast. They say you got to be careful because you're in this thing for the long haul. Right? It's a marathon, not a sprint. The second one is the halfway point. 
Now you've run 13 miles. Let me see here, 13 miles. I want to say it was 15 miles when we lived in Winter Springs. So now you're going to jump out here on Airport Boulevard. You're going to run up to 1792. You're going to hang a right. You're all the way through, heading in towards Castleberry. Make a left on 419. You know, go home and map quest it. I'm telling you, it's like 15 miles. That's halfway. They say halfway point is, is another critical moment because now you realize I have the same distance to run that I've already run. I got to do it all over again just to get back to the beginning. And I'm tired. And my legs feel like jelly. I'm not going to be able to finish this race. I'm not going to be able to get back to where I started. Someone's going to have to pick me up. Katie Beth is the only one I'm aware of that, that has run any kind of distance like that. God love that child. I don't know how she did it. But the halfway point, what's the halfway point in your life? I think on average life expectancy right now, I'm there. What's the average life expectancy of a male? 78 years old? 78? So I'm, I'm about right there. I'm at the halfway point. Some of you are a little closer to the end. Some of you are not even... You're just getting started. But the truth is, we have that problem. We have that halfway point mentality where I can't finish the race. I have to stop. You can't. That's a truth and a reality you're going to have to grapple with. You can't finish the race. So what are we to do then? If I can't finish the race or the walk, if it's laid out before me, and I can't finish it, what am I to do? You have to look to Christ. You have to look to Him. And I don't mean just look to Him, but realize that Christ, for the joy set before Him, that's later on in, in chapter 12. And I'll read that quick. Verse 2, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, NIV reads, scorning its shame, I believe, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. For consider him who has endured such hostility, opposition, I think is what's in the NIV, um, by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. Jesus is the culmination of everything. In him and through him was all things created. The culmination of these cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11, you guys, as a cloud of witnesses for each other, running this race, you have hurdles, you've hit some of them, you've sideswiped some of them, you've cleared some of them, good for you, you've managed to get over some of them and keep running, but there are those few things, those few hurdles where you don't even try. You stop short and you say, this one I can't do. These are the ones that have to be surrendered. So much of the songs we sang this, this morning about surrendering, those are the ones that have to be surrendered. Be bold. Be courageous. You can approach with confidence this, this altar that's up here. It was at the cross... It was at the cross that Jesus paid the penalty. See, there are things that are true. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. Blood is demanded. There's a price that has to be paid. But don't ever forget that the price was paid. It was paid. You got to stop worrying about the sin. Throw it off because it's been paid. You have to look to Christ you have to go deeper with him. And I mean, look to him so that when you're down and out, you're looking up and you're going, where is Jesus? Because he's here. And I need to find him. And I need to get past this. And you need to let Christ do it through you. Because he's the only one that's strong enough. He's the only one that overcame. But we're still hung up in that I'm a sinner stage. We're so afraid of it. Don't be afraid of the sin. Be courageous in the face of that sin. Let your faith well up. 
Today I'm living for Christ, and I want to live for Christ today more than I did yesterday. And tomorrow I want to live for Christ more than I do today. But don't be afraid. When you confess that sin, it's over. It's done with. At the cross, he paid the penalty. And at, and at the cross, he said, it's finished. He basically said, I don't want to hear any more about the sin of my people. Told the devil, boom. You have no access to the Father anymore. I don't want to hear no more about it. It's been paid. You got your just payment. Now leave. Now it's on this side of the fence. It's for you to receive that, to embrace it, and to realize you've been set free, that you're no longer a slave to that sin, that you can stand up and walk right past the very enemy that's hurling the insults. Oh, you're a sinner. You did this. and you... this, is, this is us today. We give the hand, you know? But honestly, have the guts to look him in his face and go, you got your just payment. I'm not, I don't even hear you anymore. I don't even hear you anymore. I'm going after Jesus. And I wanna and I wanna go after him wholeheartedly. Go ahead and play the video, Daniel, but one second. You're the runner, Derek Redmond. You're running the race marked out for you. You're doing pretty good. You hit a hard time. You wanna finish. You'll see him. He tries to finish. People come to his aid. He's trying to push him away. And he wants to finish this thing. He's This is what's been marked out for him. He's trained for this, and he's going to finish. You catch a small glimpse, I think, if you're paying attention. It's a very quick glimpse. But somebody's coming down out of the stands, okay? And it's fighting through security to get to him, okay? All right, I want you to picture that's Jesus, okay? You may not have seen him. But he was there the whole time, and now he's coming to get you, all right? Every time you pray, every time you go to somebody's aid, there is a fight that happens in the heavenly realms. A battle wages. And I'm going to tell you like this. You're called to fight that fight as you run your race, as you're living your life that's marked out for you. But then these times will come. And when they do, if you can rest in Jesus and allow him to help you and carry you through. I don't know what tomorrow holds for you. And I don't know how bad it's going to get. I just know that when it does, Christ will come to you. And he will be there with you if you'll let him. I've fallen so many times and have gotten up so many times. My only prayer is that the time it takes for me to rest in Jesus is shorter and shorter and shorter. It is your race marked out for you. Look only to Jesus. All of the things that these people have done, great as they've been, Wonderful examples, fathers and mothers in the faith. They're all highlighting the Father. They're all highlighting Christ at his right hand as he does only what he sees his Father doing. And more than anybody in your life, he is your Father. And he is dependable and will always be there for you. So I challenge you and I encourage you, when you're running it, realize that it's got a purpose. Zach read this to the men's group, and I'll end with this. It's a definition of zeal. Great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. That's what Derek Redmond had. He was, not, he was not going to fall short of that finish line. He would have crawled if he had to. But he hobbled his way with his dad. Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor says this. For how to get faith strengthened? Not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one.
You have everything that you need. You don't need more faith. You have it all. You don't need more Jesus because you got all of him at the beginning. He gave it all to you. But you need us to rest in him. You need to look to him because the joy set before him, us, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew what his faith was going to accomplish. He knew what he was going to accomplish. What is your faith going to accomplish today? What will it accomplish this week? So when you see the hurdle, you can get past it and keep moving closer to him.